am Chris. And I'm Andrew, and welcome to episode six of Video Games Cover to Cover. And I'm going to be honest, I did it. I wasn't sure I was going to, and we talked about it afterwards, but I did it. I replayed all of chapter two and half of chapter three in the last week. I really am proud of you because I did not expect you to actually do that. Look, As I said multiple times, bro, you can just watch my videos or something because... That is the level of dedication that I am bringing to this venture. <laughs> Never let it be said that I am not committed. Because while that Possibly the mental of, kind of committed at this rate, but I did it. While that sort of gameplay is something I could easily do because I just binge video games when I do play them. I didn't... I, I can't pretend that I was excited the whole time, but doing all the content that I've already done... But even though that's not usually my style, when I commit to something, I usually try to stick to it in a video game, and I committed to 100%, and I'm going to make it happen. And people who doubt my commitment should see the fact that I've completed, like, all the Dark Souls games, for example. So... I stick with it. With that, I got to the very beginning of Bachnell. I started the mission, but I didn't actually do like go out and find any of the cactars yet yeah that's exactly where i am as well so let's go ahead and start off with you what did before we get into our expectations what did you want to bring up from uh chapter two okay so first of all i did see the scene you were talking about this time the bathing suit one and i gotta say the way you described it did not properly do it justice. It was substantially creepier than I thought. Well, I didn't really dwell on it too long because I know at that point you were kind of in a depression over the realization that you didn't see that scene. <laughs> but was that not strange? It was It was extremely strange they, and, they and also there, very creepy. They talk about how, oh, I'm so happy that that we're completely alone and there's no one here. There's like Hypello in the background, totally waving their arms and like throwing a party. Apparently Hypello aren't people, which is disturbing in its own right. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is going on here? Why? Did you notice that, that Riku was <laughs> more clothed than yes. normal yes, in her, her ba bathing suit? Not even just more clothed, substantially more. <laughs> it was... When I saw that originally, I was thinking, whoa, okay, that, huh, I thought you were wearing a bathing suit before, so if you're not, what? <laughs> you have a, an actual bathing suit that covers more. Yeah. O so okay. You get more modest when you're swimming somehow. <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to mention, I don't, was that it? No, I had I had one other. Uh, I noticed while I was replaying, and when I got back to the thing we had talked about before, where you have to give LeBlanc a massage, which is, again, extremely weird. But just, just going along with all the innuendo and how they kept implying stuff, the name of the mission that you have to do when it pops up is literally Satisfy LeBlanc. What? Yeah. Yeah, satisfy LeBlanc. Wow. Because we had talked about the innuendo aspect before, but I... Wow. Like, yeah, that that's so much more blatant 
Like, it was already pretty blatant, and then they just went and threw that in there. Satisfy LeBlanc. Okay. I want, I'm hoping that maybe that's just a translation thing. I'm not opposed to, like, trying to do, like, innuendo or stuff as a joke at a thing. I mean, it's a valid form of humor or whatever, but they were laying it on real thick. And then that was even more so. So now, what were you going to bring up? Well, I had uh, two things. The first of which was going back to the whole Chocobo thing. Okay. I want to point out that... Or no, this isn't the Chocobo thing. This is... Never mind. Scratch all, scratch all of that. <laughs> so there was only one thing that I wanted to bring up. Right at the end of chapter three. Chapter two. Dang it. <laughs> right at the end of chapter two, you get a message saying, and this is just kind of a, a quick, very end of the whole video thing. Right after you find out that fiends are pouring out of the temples, you get this message that both Nuge and Belial. Belial. Yeah. Belial. Oh, geez. <laughs> Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> that that Barilai is missing. And the only funny thing that I've ever seen from Brother so far is this whole thing comes up because Nuge and Barilai are both regarded as attractive dudes that people like. You 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 have this whole thing of oh hey everybody Nuj and Barilai are missing. Brother's only response is fascinating. And it's like, well, anyway, (laughs) um, let's get to the whole. (laughs) That was really funny. And it's even more funny because he says it in like a completely different voice from every other line he's given so far. It was like fascinating. Okay. Well, we got to go do that whole fiend thing. We got to do this because that's what we're all about now. Yeah, that was that that was good though. I will agree. That was a funny little moment. I, I'm really hoping that that's what we get from brother going forward because that would make me incredibly happy. Like we were talking about before in chapter two, he was almost sort of letting Yuna run the show, and in three, he basically just straight up makes that explicit and just asks Yuna what to do next. So, on to the chapter three stuff. Well, I guess let's let's start with the the usual there. We got we're slightly out of order because we were going backwards and summing up, but what were you expecting this time? I was expecting nothing but mini games. That is not what I got, especially considering what I was doing was considered extra content. Yeah, it was a lot more outside of the stuff in Luca, it was much more, I guess what you would call traditional gameplay. I was actually worried that we weren't going to have enough for an entire episode because of how chapter two was nothing but mini games. But wow, my expectations did not come true because I thought it was just going to be nothing but mini games. And as soon as we hit the, the syndicate, like the floodgates opened. <laughs> I mean, it's not just with the Syndicate, although you're right, that was definitely a major section of a sudden glut of new storytelling, and that was great, 
But I feel like even the other sections before that, or the ones even slightly after it, had more story to them than the stuff in Chapter 2. It felt more like Chapter 1, where we were still getting little bits and pieces of what was going on every time we did a side thing, whereas in Chapter 2, pretty much most of Chapter 2 just straight up felt like filler to me. And Chapter 3, I feel like most of them have had a purpose beyond just giving you something to do. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but... I disagree to an extent because I feel like we got way more story in Chapter 2, especially way more of the actual mission, which is to figure out what's going on with that Titus person. I feel like we got more of that in Chapter 2 than we have any other chapter so far. But I don't feel like that even really started until we got to the actual story in 2. And I agree, but what I'm saying is you made it sound like all of Chapter 2 felt like filler. No, no, no. The, I'm talking about specifically like the side content. Oh, that's not what I... I, I thought you meant the entire chapter no, 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 felt the, like the, filler. The, yes, the side content was nothing but filler. That's what I had, was... Very few of the things in Chapter 3 have felt that way so far. Almost all of it felt like it was directly connected to the story. We'll see how the actual, you know, hotspots go compared to the hotspots in Chapter 2, where a lot of story did finally start happening. But so far, the side content has been surprisingly informative. So the first thing that you do in Chapter 3 is Sphere Break. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Sphere Break? Because I basically just got through it as fast as possible. I mean, as the Final Fantasy minigames go, it's probably my least favorite ever. As far as the major minigames, when, like, when you compare it to Blitzball, it's definitely far inferior to that. It's not as good as the card games from 8 and 9. Is it meant to be the main minigame of this game, though? Because I kind of feel like it is, because... I've only ever played it once, and I don't think you can play it with anyone else. Can you? I... For a main mini game, I would assume you'd be able to play it as much as possible. Certainly, the only the time I've been able to play it at all has been this championship. Certainly, the tutorials and stuff made it sound like you could challenge people to sphere break a lot. I've just never even bothered, and I barely talked to the NPCs. <laughs> well, the only why that I've ever been able to do on people is the publicity. Maybe I'm just not trying to do sphere break with everybody. I don't know. But Regardless, at least so far, it has been the main minigame, and it is not very good. It's basically just math, the minigame. Which, to be fair, that's true. In a lot of ways, that's true of the card game, too. But the card game had a lot more interesting mechanics going on. Whereas, yeah, this is literally just, hey, do you know your multiplication tables? Great, you've got this figured out. Having said that, I absolutely smashed that tournament. I had like I I smoked everyone. <laughs> yeah, I I did too, but I did because I wanted to spend as little time as possible doing it, so I just looked up the optimal way to win. And the optimal way to win is essentially just get one every single time, so you always have a combo. And the championship, I actually got, I, I beat in 10 moves instead of 15. 
yeah, the first I actually had to do the championship twice because uh, it as it turns out, there's a couple people you have to get specific items from as part of the hundred percent dirt, which you can only do during the championship, which is very annoying to put it out there. And the champion who is Shinra, the the super genius kid, because of course it is. I actually really liked that detail. I thought that was funny. But I actually had to fight Shinra twice, not because I lost, because he never actually had the item that I needed to win from him. And and since I I won without getting it, I had to restart. But the first time I actually beat him on turn 14, only because I was intentionally drawing it out to try to get that item to show up. Second time, I, I... it was probably around turn 10. Yeah, I, I crushed him. Because the second time around, the item actually showed up on turn one, and so I was immediately able to just go all out on him. I had that bad luck too, but I had it with the person that you needed to get two items from. There was a person, I think, I think that you were supposed to get two items from them, or you were, or maybe you were just supposed to get the one. I don't remember, but it was the dog. I was about to say, by person, you mean dog. Yeah. When, Which when was I, also awesome. When I was doing sphere break against the dog, I got item on every single turn, but every single turn, it was just a remedy or something. And I never got the item I needed, so I had to fight them twice. But when I went up against Shinra, it was the very first one. I really didn't want to do the championship twice because you have to beat two people in a row. Yeah, I was about to mention that that was the most annoying part of having to redo him was having to go beat another person right before him because you don't get a chance to save or anything and immediately goes to the championship. But I I think Spear Break can be fun. I just haven't had an opportunity to play it at all, and I really just don't have any interest in it. The other thing about it, I remember them talking about, you know, oh, there's all these different coins you could collect that have different features and stuff. Have you ever found any of these coins? The only way to get those, well, I think you get coins from digging in Bachnell, which neither of us do because the guide essentially says, don't do it if you want 100%. Oh, okay. So I think that's one of the problems is we've never done the digging, so we haven't got the better coins. And the only other way to get coins is to win them from people. And I can't figure out for the life of me how to play Spear Break outside of the championship. Because after the tutorial, I actually tried to play with every single person in that room. And maybe I just wasn't doing something right, but it wasn't letting me. No, in Chapter 1, I think you could only play against the tutorial guy. At least that was the only person I was ever able to do it with. But, But that's an interesting point. Maybe it was cut content or something that it was supposed to be a much bigger thing that they kind of wound up stripping out. And that's possible. I, I, I really don't know. It, it Because it just... It felt like one of those things where it's like, you should be able to go anywhere, and like they're, one of the NPCs is like, hey, do you want to play Sphere Break or something? Because it felt like the way they were talking about it is it was something that everyone was doing. But yeah. outside of the championship, I have not had an opportunity, or at least... I don't think I've had an opportunity to play it with anybody. Yeah. Although it did kind of sound like it was mostly a Luca thing, and I'll admit I barely spent any time in Luca, especially in Chapter 2. Yeah, because in Chapter 2, Luca was very light. There was essentially nothing there at all. I think it was just show up, get a, a cutscene, and then leave. Yeah, you just do the interview. That's the only thing you have to do. 
Which, there's been quite a few things that were pretty light in Chapter 3. I, that was another thing I noticed. All, pretty much all the ones that didn't feel like they had much as far as story goes, where you were basically just in and out. So, after Sphere Break, you go to Makalania, and I'd like, or not Makalania, Meehan High Road. I'd like to point out that not only do the Machina not help when there's an actual crisis a.k.a. the Chocobo Eater, but they also go haywire and try to kill everybody. Yeah, so I actually was thinking about that. When you finish it up, that kind of stood out to me. So that, that whole mission is basically just you going around and racing against a group of outbed to try to defeat more Machina than them to get the reward, which, you know, isn't difficult. I got like nine of the 15, I think. There was only 13. Whatever, I, I got well, I got over half, which is the important part. <laughs> yeah, you have to get over seven, and I think I did eight. But, but anyway, so you go around and you fight them, and then it kind of ends fairly suddenly to the point where even, I think, Riku makes a comment about that, where it just basically ends with, well, we don't know what happened. It They just sort of went haywire, and then it just cuts off. So that seems like it's obviously going to lead to something in cha probably chapter four. I honestly have a strong suspicion that somebody sabotaged it. This also could go back to maybe this is why Yevon originally said that Machina are bad. Because it sounds like Machina are something that... It sounds like nobody really knows how to actually control them. It, it seems like they're remnants from the old civilization, and by that I mean a thousand years ago when Xanarkin was destroyed and Xanarkin was basically all Machina, it seems like they're just remnants from that civilization that people just dig up and they get working, but they truly don't understand them. And for them to go haywire like that, because it sounds like it's not something, it sounds like that's not necessarily rare. Because when you talk to some of the NPCs, a lot of the Albed are like, yeah, we're trying to understand these things a lot more. Sometimes they have, you know, accidents or whatever. And I just didn't really think anything of it until a whole bunch of them through the entire high road just went nuts. I actually have a theory that I'm going to go ahead and throw out there uh, so that everybody can, you know, go ahead and call me out when I'm probably inevitably wrong later. But I think it was Vegnagun based on something else that happens that we'll get to in a little bit further down in the summary. I actually disagree with you, but there's a reason why. Okay. I But we don't need to go into that now. So after Meehan, and I don't know if you noticed, but Rin showed up in the Meehan section, and I it sounded like really? he was... Yeah, he's in the, the ending cutscene... And it sounds like he was there to try to do research on what happened. Ending scene? The the ending scene in Mihan where you get the reward and they're like, it just kind of wraps up and Riku's like, well, that just kind of ended pretty suddenly. Oh, yeah. that It was much more... See, this is much more clear in your mind because that, that was last weekend for me. <laughs> so I don't remember really anything. Yeah, so that, that that's one of, I guess, the silver lining to having to replay all this as I was really only just getting into this stuff last night and today. 
which was the whole reason why we were doing this book club style of that way we would, it would be very fresh in our minds because I am a very forgetful person. I forget absolutely everything. It's <laughs> a problem. So after me, Hen, you go to Mushroom Rock, which that one was an interesting one because it was a hot spot, but it resolves itself, at least for the moment. Was it a hot spot? It was, yes. It, 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 I again Because I, there was just, nothing there. I know, which is why I'm pointing out that it's interesting because, yes, it was flagged as a hot spot, but you don't actually do anything because... The Youth League basically takes care of it with help from the Albed and their Machina. Well, Gibble specifically says that we can't look to Yuna to solve all of our problems, which I agree with. I 100% agree with. Yeah, see, when that first gets said at Mushroom Rock, when the Youth League is explaining it to you, the way they said it, maybe it was just me, but I took it like, Gipple was, you know, being a shady character or whatever, but then when you actually go talk to him at Jose, he explains it and it makes a lot more sense because, yeah, he just says, we can't rely on you to solve all of our problems, whereas it kind of came across... I feel across- like the Youth League the youth league guy was very ominous about it. You know, we just got to solve our own problems. We got to do it ourselves. It was just like, we shouldn't involve you so much. It's like, okay, I have the skills for it, but then when you actually talk to Gibble almost immediately after, it's very well thought out of, listen, you know, we have to get stronger because you are not always, you can't always be there to help us. And we have to get stronger so we can save ourselves so you don't have to. Yeah, and... I originally thought that confrontation with him was going to go very different than it actually did because of that. I want to point out Yuna's ultimate is sick. (laughs) Where she has basically just a gigantic like flower that blooms or whatever. And it, it is awesome. It is so much cooler than Riku's and infinitely cooler than Payne's. Payne's looks just weird to me, but Yuna's just looks awesome. Riku's I was so disappointed in. I was so disappointed in it. It was called Ma, and she constantly paused all the time in every single video or every cutscene. I wanted so badly for it to be like a giant cat. <laughs> I wanted so badly for it to just be like a giant cat, like panther, lion, or something, because she's always pawing in in cutscenes. I don't know if you've noticed that, but she always does that like paw thing, and she even did it in in Final Fantasy X, the the original. I was really hoping it would be like some sort of a cat, but it's like some two handed gorilla thing. It's Hers is odd. I don't think it's as odd as Payne's, but in my opinion, Yuna's is sick. It is by far the best. I I just realized there was something I wanted to bring up. Okay. There was one more thing. It was on the same lines as uh, both of those guys going missing. 
so Nuge goes missing and uh, Barilai, but Barilai goes missing because it's it's pretty clear that after that fight, we just like threw him down the pit that was right there. So we know why he's gone. Uh, see, I didn't think we did. I thought he literally also went missing. No, no, we didn't. But what the last time me and you were were laughing about how he like sprinted away immediately after the fight. Yeah. There was this pit right there that was very um Star Wars the Emperor. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I just assume after that battle we just chucked him off the side and was like, Well, see you later, Barely. Well, given that people can apparently survive like any level of fall, because we jumped down that gigantic pit to get to that area, so Well, hey, you know, we're Yuna. We're YRP. We can do anything we want. It's true. We're the gall wings. So, so Barilai, we just like chuck them off. We're like, okay, you're done. Bye. Does it not seem weird to you that News clearly talked to Barilai because he mentions it in his in his in his fight. video, and now Vegnagun's missing. You, I, I, I wanted to bring it up next time. And I wrote it down on my list before something happens later, but that struck me as very, like, after we recorded last time, that struck me as something maybe News didn't actually want to stop Vegna Gun. Yeah, there's something weird about New. I mean, as I guess is expected at chapter three of a five chapter game. Everybody feels like there's a lot of information that we they're not telling us yet, but Nuge in particular seems a lot shadier than he did at the start of the game, for sure. Oh, definitely. So, with that, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the Syndicate stuff? No, because I think that's going to be the, the vast bulk of our time. There's a lot to cover there. The first thing that I want to bring up with the Syndicate is, I feel so bad for LeBlanc right now. I will say, though, I feel like I kind of owe Logos and Army an apology because maybe I was wrong about them. Dude, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to make of them at this point. I have no idea what to make of them because I truly have no clue if they're bad or not. Because, because they really seem like they really care about her right now. and Even if they are bad, you're right. It seems like they truly care about her and they care about her well-being and they want her because they even say like, well, maybe you going up there will cheer her up. Even Riku's like, hey, we're going to go out and get all the spheres. And it, it was so adorable that she's trying to cheer up her enemy because it's it's like, you know, you're our, our bad guy. You're the one that we're against. And... We're trying to help her, like, get back up on her feet. And you're right. It seems like Logos and Ormi actually care about her. Yeah, because they really... I mean, they're, admittedly, their initial idea of pretending to be news was absolutely terrible, but it was a funny kind of terrible, and it was a terrible <laughs> that was... came out of them clearly wanting to do better. It was just a bad idea. But at first, since I was still in the mindset of they were e secretly evil or whatever, 
when they were sitting there practicing voices, I thought they were like trying to practice like luring her to a trap or something, but <laughs> wow, really? Like I, I legitimately <laughs> thought that they were finally going to make their move or whatever, but then I was like, okay, I guess they really care. Because if they were going to make their move, this is the time. Exactly. I have no idea what to think of them now. And and I'm starting to think that maybe they really are just the comic relief, but there's a few ominous things thrown in there. Maybe whatever happened changed them. The crimson... Yeah, which... Because all of those spheres are crimson spheres... The name is Crimson Sphere Number. Yeah. Whatever that operation was, it was Operation Crimson something, if I remember right. Because I I remember thinking about that later and writing it down, and I kept forgetting to bring it up. It was, yes. And so there's a few things about that whole operation that are confusing that I'm sure is partially because we still don't have all the spheres. But let's let, let's cover that bit after we cover the other spheres because there's we get like four spheres in in this section. But why are all the past maesters hanging on the wall still? I noticed that too. In the basement, it is decked out with the syndicate heart symbol. It is the whole thing is syndicate stuff. Does that it? Does that imply that? The syndicate built that afterwards. I think so. It's it's very obvious that the game designers built that afterwards, right? And but, I assume I assume the real reason is be- exactly because of that. They just didn't bother to change the pick the design of the areas that existed in the previous game. They wouldn't even have to change that design. Why didn't they just change the pictures? It's just so weird, especially since the whole world knows how mega evil Seymour is, why would the syndicate keep at least his picture up? The whole world at this point should know how mega evil Seymour is. Why? It just seems... I know why, because the game... It was just one of those things where, oh, well, we don't need to redesign this. But I feel like that's one of those, especially as polished as the rest of the game sort of feels... It just seems odd to me that they didn't try to put, like, banners or or something up. They could have just hastily put up a banner of just, like, how cool LeBlanc is. Because if you look in Lagos and Ormi's bedrooms, they both have pictures of LeBlanc in their rooms. Yeah, I did notice that. Which I thought was was funny. It, It just seems like... They should have hastily put up, like, little pictures of LeBlanc everywhere. Because it seems like that's sort of the person LeBlanc is. Like, look at me. I am freaking baller. And look at how great I am. So it struck me as odd. The other thing I struck odd, why are there fiends in the basement? I was going to comment on that, too. There were syndicate people in there before, which I totally get. Why are there fiends now? So I have a theory on that, although it ties it's a mechanics theory, not an actual explanation in the story theory. That area is flagged as an encounter zone, so it's just pulling encounter tables, and it's just pulling from the Chapter 3 encounter tables now, and so you're just getting random monsters, because you don't fight like the Syndicate at all in Chapter 3, because they're basically your friends now. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. I feel like they just forgot to remove that. Yeah, basically. So you get encounters that just aren't Syndicate anymore. Yeah, because they're just generic fiends. It would have been really funny if you did still fight the Syndicate while you were down there. I will. It's like, hey, why don't you meet us in the basement? And then it's like, this. this we constantly get into fights. It's like, well, maybe they really are ominous. <laughs> I actually was wondering about that as I was going in there. I was like, am I still going to get into fights? Like, am I going to fight syndicate people? Because that would be interesting. But no, I was not going to fight syndicate people, but I was still going to fight. Pain, of all people, complains that we're not getting enough. Did you notice that? We're not getting enough what? Information. When I think it's after the first sphere that we look at. Or, or no, I think it's when right when we go down there, Payne's like, oh, I'm so sick of this. We're just, I feel like we're not getting enough information. Really, Payne? You, of all people, do not get to talk about how little information we're getting. Speaking of Payne, actually, that reminded me of something I did want to bring up from last time that I noticed in the section of things I noticed in my replay that I didn't comment on the first time. When you go to the syndicate in disguise and you are going into that secret area for the first time, there's a part where Riku like trip and trips and falls down the stairs. Riku says something like, oh, whose idea was this? And then Payne makes a comment like, take it up with the boss. And they both look at her really strange. And then she's just like, uh, um, uh, oh, I've been wearing this uniform too long. We should change. And it makes me wonder if LeBlanc is yet another person that Payne already knew. Huh. Dude. What if all of them used to be syndicate members? And maybe that's why LeBlanc has this massive crush on news. Actually, I have something else I'm thinking about that we'll get to in a minute because it's about one of these other spears. Well, that's that's not a minute because this is it. Okay, fair enough. I think you might be right. You said it before that this Titus is probably a dream recreation. I 100% think you are right, because at the end of that sphere, Macklin comes back and says, this was recorded over a thousand years ago, and yeah, that totally looks like him. Yeah. I think the Titus we had was a dream recreation of a younger Titus who was on the very first thing. That, ori- that original sphere? It sounds like, I don't know, but Sin may have come about because they were trying to fight Vegnagun. Okay, so, yeah, so there's that sphere, the one that, that Machen comes back for, the Gowl Spear or whatever it was. It was, like, one you can, you can miss, but it's pretty hard to miss. Gale. So, I think... So in that sphere, the original Titus or whatever it, whatever is going on there, somebody off screen says something to the extent of, I can't believe Xanderkin hasn't surrendered. And he says, well, you know, Xanderkin's only fighting because you keep attacking them. And I'm assuming this recording is, this war is directly related to the, the situation that caused Xanderkin to get destroyed, which makes me think that Vagnagun versus Sin was a part of that war. One side had Vagnagun and one side had Sin, and it just basically was a massive disaster. My theory at this point is that 
that Titus was on the original campaign with Yevon because he specifically mentions the summoner. I think Yevon was the summoner that he was protecting. And the reason why he's in jail is because Yevon created sin. And now sin is like this mega bad thing that is destroying everybody. Okay, so I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really interesting possibility you bring up. And that is why the faith brought back Titus. It's just a younger version of him. Like from when he started the journey or whatever? Because he would have, he would be one of the only people that would necessarily be strong enough to like take out a sin because he was there. That's really interesting. And I actually, I really like where you're going with that. I, I hadn't considered that at all. Like that would be the origin, but that makes a lot of sense when you say that. And when that whole sphere happened and they said that this was a thousand years ago and it's just when, when you think of all of the spheres and everything that has happened, Here's the other thing. I don't think Vegnagun is a machina. I think Vegnagun is a creature that they're controlling with machina. I think you're sort of there. Um, So jumping ahead just a, a tiny bit, because this is really the only thing that even happens in this section and it's more relevant here. So after, after this section with the syndicate, the only other thing afterwards was we basically go help Awaka reclaim his Makalania thing because it's under attack by fiends also. The Albed, there's an Albed party that all dies that basically got ambushed by the fiends, the Albed that were there that basically chased him out of his place to begin with. And one of them says a whole bunch of stuff you can't understand because he talks in Albed right before he dies. But he definitely says something along the lines of fiend machina, and I think that's what I think that's Vegnagun, like a machina fiend combination of some kind. Yeah, and that's what I think. I am thinking that it is just a giant fiend that they're controlling with some sort of machina type armor. I think it's a hybrid, and I think that News knows that. Because we also get another sphere while we're in the syndicate. And that is the one that Payne complains about that we don't know enough. Because it turns out, while we were there, Lagos and Ormi, one of them recorded news. He was there in that dungeon area with you. Presumably right before Vegnagun is gone. Not right before Vegnagun is gone, because they showed up at the same time you did. It was He was there after, although he could have been there before then, too. What I mean is he was farther along than you were. What I'm saying oh. is he would have gotten to Vegnagun right before you. I thought that recording was in the room where you fought Dark Bahamut, though, because when you come in, once you beat it, LeBlanc and the two guys show up and she specifically instructs them to make sure you get everything and Ormi pulls out a camera and starts recording. I thought that was then. Is The, that, video we're the recording at. was where the pistons were at. No, because there were two. Because That was the one that Lagos did where he was being a creeper and recorded their butts. Both of them were there. I Okay, I maybe I'll have to go back and rewatch. I thought the second one was in the actual boss room. 
because the ones that were, if they were not, they were in the giant room right before the boss. Either way, news was there. Yes. I, I will say this made, there is Which a... Which also lends credence to the fact that Belial mentioned... Belial. <laughs> Berali mentions talking to him. And it sounded to me like he had just gotten done talking with him. It sounds like news got to Vegnagun right before you. Yes, I, and that we I know that Vegnagun is gone, and news is is has disappeared. I think news activated Vegnagun and bolted with it, because I think he knows what it is. I mean, he obviously knows more about it than what than what we do, but. I think his plan all along has been to gain control of Vegnagun. Yes, it's definitely seeming more and more like that was the case. Couple things about this that tie both back into pain and the other thing in our so there's a fourth sphere, which in, in my opinion is the one that almost is the most important of the bunch. The extra crimson sphere you get. Uh, did you watch that one? If I did, I don't... It actually answers a lot of the questions we have and introduces some new ones and some interesting things. It's the beginning of that operation, the one where almost everybody dies that we've been speculating about. Well, hold on, because no, I didn't watch it. Okay, so we actually paused for a moment (laughs) so I could go back and watch it because no, I hadn't. That's one of the things I typically do a lot is... If they don't show me the sphere immediately, I am going to forget. Like I said at the beginning, I am a very forgetful person. I totally forgot to go back and and watch it. So having said that, that sphere is very important. We can probably discuss both that one and the one with from a thousand years ago are extremely important and cover a lot in their own rights, I think. And they're both extra quests. Yeah. Like, that is what is more, I think, to me, sometimes annoying about 100%ing this game. Seeing the entire game requires you to do all the side quests, when in a lot of games, side quests are exactly that. Just something you can do that's extra on the side that you can pick up a few bits and pieces of the world yeah it just sort of fleshes things out a little bit more but yeah it's given the design of 10 2 and that's part of why we've been so adamant about 100 percenting this because there's so much that you won't see at all that is directly relevant to the main stuff like we wouldn't have got that new sphere about titus or the second crimson sphere without doing the side missions but so that sphere for me there are two things So why don't you go ahead and go first? Sure. So this recording is very clearly the operation that we've been kind of seeing the aftermath of in these other Crimson Spheres. The one that resulted in them locking up that Den of Woe and sealing it away. And what's interesting there is you get to see the recruits while they're still alive, and three of those recruits are Nuge, Barrel Eye, and Gipple. I had to think for a second. So those three 
that Lagos and Ormi are bringing up in their one sphere? Yeah, three survivors plus their recorder. We know for sure who the three survivors are. The question is, who's recording the video? I think the person that Lagos and Ormi were talking to was Keenock. I think so, yes, because I had originally said he was a um, Yevon person, and Keenock was one of the uh, maesters, wasn't he? Keenock was a maester. He was the one, he was one of them that Aaron knew. Yeah. From, from 10. He was, Keenock was like one of the guys. He turned out he was kind of a a bad guy. I mean, all of the I mean, maesters of turned out were. to be bad guys. But he was kind of, he wasn't nearly as bad as like Seymour, but he definitely, I mean, that's a good point. All of them were bad. It's just, not, not really. The Ronzo one wasn't bad. Because the Ronzo one didn't really know what was going on, and when he did, he fled to Mount Gagazet. Okay, and it's been long enough that I don't remember, but yeah, pretty much all of the maesters were bad, and all of them were dead, too, I think, other than the Ronzo one. Because I'm pretty sure Keenock was also spirits. Well, I'm pretty sure that, oh yeah, the Ronzo one wasn't dead, but Keenock was dead the whole time. Maester Micah, which was the main dude, was dead the whole time. No, Keenock wasn't dead, because Seymour kills him. Oh, really? Yeah, Seymour okay. kill Seymour actually kills him. When the Ronzo guy found out that Seymour killed Keenock, he fled like immediately after that because he's like, "Yeah, this is not what I signed up for." <laughs> and also probably realized that he was also in danger. Yeah. So, anyway, we know for sure that the three survivors that Logos mentions have to be those three. That's the only explanation, unless this is a completely different operation, but they also talk about anyone who completes this will get to join the Crimson Squad or whatever, which presumably Logos and Army are already members of for that to, this timeline to make any sense. It seemed like they were. It seemed like they were somehow members of this, whatever this was, but that means they were also members of Yevon at one point. Right, because the more we see about this, the more I feel like... They're basically like Yevon's equivalent of like Navy SEALs or a SWAT team or something, like the really elite soldiers. So my thought is, especially with as obsessed as LeBlanc is with news, maybe she was the person that was recording those three. It's possible. My thought is it's actually pain. Because I think that really? that would explain why Payne knows all three of them. Because it is well established, Payne knows Gipple, Nuge, and uh, Barrelai. Wow, we both have trouble with Barrelai for some reason. But it also seems like she knows LeBlanc. That's true. Maybe LeBlanc was the recorder behind Lagos and Army. Lagos and Ormi. M maybe. Unless Ormi was one of them that was recording in those spheres. I, I don't know, but it sounds like Payne just knows everybody. Yeah, which is... I, I just think it's pain because having the four of them all know each other and having some shared history that nobody wants to talk about, to me, that makes the most sense as to how they were all connected, is that she was the survivor of that operation with the three of them. Going a step further, the thing about LeBlanc is she's made it pretty clear that the only reason she's after these fears is because she's in love with Nuge and is trying to impress him. I don't think she's been doing this very long. And so because of that, I don't think... I think she's pretty new to the whole adventuring game. I don't think she would have been involved in this. In Involved in what? In it, the Crimson thing? Yeah, because I, I get the impression she... 
she strikes me as like a rich socialite who fell in love with somebody and basically is doing all of this to impress him. That's the archetype they seem to be going with with her from what we know so far. But why does Lagos and Or Ormi follow her? That especially I don't know. if they care about her so much, it seems like they have more of a past than what you're letting on. I, if she's maybe brand so. new, why on earth, especially with the shady things that they were saying in those original spheres, and maybe that's because they were a part of Yevon at that point, and Yevon was shady. I mean, Here's the other thing that I think they were looking for. Because they mentioned in that sphere that there's a giant fiend down there. I think Vegnagun was there. I was about to say that. I, th I actually think the same thing. And that's why they already know about it. And going further and further why I think it was pain. After you beat Barilai, or ooh, the, con the confrontation with Barilai in general at the end of chapter two, when you're going pursuing Vegnagun, there's a lot of weight behind him talking to Payne in particular, and when you defeat him, Payne is immediately like, I'm going on ahead, and they say, you have your reasons. I'm pretty sure she was running off because of the fact that she was remember she was thinking about, is this really the thing we ran into two years ago in this operation? I think that's why she was so concerned about it. Well, was it two years ago? Do I, I don't... Do we really know when that operation actually occurred? If we... Based on no, that, because it was sealed right after the Meehan thing. Right. It sounds like it occurred right at, after the Mushroom Rock. It thing. sounds like it occurred at the same time as Operation Meehan, and that one sphere of whoever it is going, where are you guys, with the the Yuna and Lulu one that we talked about? I mean, assuming all these recordings take place around the same time, which they almost certainly have to, that implies that, yes, that, that operation was happening at the same time. So it sounds like this... Go check. We've heard reports of this giant fiend down here or whatever. This is like, this sounds like a sub operation of Meehead, and they sent a, a detachment down there to try to take care of this other fiend out of concern that it was going to like show up and flank them or re or join Sin or something. So you're probably right. That probably was pain. That would make the most sense right now. But at the same time, I feel like LeBlanc knows them somehow because especially if it's only been a couple years if they're just doing the whole sphere hunter thing i really don't think they would have as much respect for her as they do i feel like they have to have some sort of past together for them to have especially since they're apparently these like elite soldiers i feel like there has to be some sort of backstory with her there somewhere yeah probably I mean, there's still like five or six of these spheres we still don't have that will probably fill in more on this, but you do make a good point, and I'm sure there has to be some other connection there. It makes me wonder if... So, since since there's a new Yevon, it really sounds like old Yevon, as we knew it, collapsed after the two years, and it makes me wonder if like Lagos and Ormi, when Yevon collapsed, stopped having you know, stopped having work or even a place to go or whatever, and she helped them out as the rich person that she apparently is. And that's why they're loyal to her. But that does feel pretty weak compared to other possibilities. And I, I don't really know. I don't think I agree with your rich socialite either, personally. 
she definitely is. I don't know. I mean, she's clearly wealthy because she obviously has basically the nicest house in the entire world after Seymour left it. But that doesn't mean she just it's it seems like she just moved in. I don't think she like bought it. I think she just set up shop there. I mean, maybe so. I I guess we still don't know don't enough about LeBlanc. Guado Salam was just up for sale after the Guado left. I think it was just whoever just set up shop. Realistically, I think the reason she's there is because they just needed something to be in Guado Salam and they didn't want to program her thing anywhere else. But if she was some rich socialite that just is now obsessed with news, I don't think they would have any respect for her at all being these super elite soldiers. I, I, I don't think they would follow her in any way, shape, or form. They'd just be like, this is just a job for us. I don't That's think fair. they care about her unless they only get paid by going out and doing sphere hunting. I just feel like they would have no respect for her at all. I mean, that's a fair point, and I feel like we don't know enough about LeBlanc in general still because we know we, we really are just entirely taking guesses here as to what she was like or, or what she was doing beforehand because she, she wasn't in the previous game or whatever else. So it's you could be right. Maybe she is the one who was doing the recordings or, or whatever, but then that leaves the question of why does Payne know all these people? So either way... I think it's I think it's logical to say the recorder is one of the two of them, but either way, whichever one it is, that just introduces questions for the other person that isn't adequately explained yet. Yeah, that, I will say that old that Macklin guy, he he mentioned something interesting. Well, he I, he mentioned I was going to bring him up soon, so I'm glad you went there. He's seems to know everything, and he has so much useful information but he mentions something at the end of his conversation he essentially says because they, they're talking about how well do you think it would even be possible to bring him back he's kind of he implies yeah I really don't think he's gone forever and then Yuna's like, wait, what do you mean? And Payne goes, you better be careful. And he just is like, well, it's just the ramblings of an old man. It sounds like he knows more than he's letting on, and he's a guy who seems like he knows a little bit of everything. I actually thought about this a little bit the first time he showed up at Mushroom Rock, and it didn't. It never occurred to me in the slightest in 10, but the way he's been acting in 10 too... I'm starting to think he's basically like the Maesters and he's been around a lot longer and has been dead basically the entire time we've known him and probably for a while after that. I'm pretty sure he's really, really old. What if he's Xanarkin old? I want the, yeah, that very well could be because he was awful certain that that, that that recording was from a thousand years ago. Like he knew immediately was on top of that. He just, he knows way more than he's letting on it. And that is something, spheres aside, his role, I feel like we are never going to get the full story on. Maybe we will, because it seems like he, why on earth would he be in the syndicate basement? Why did he go down there? 
Yeah. Where did he come from? Because even Lagos and Ormi are like, um, where did you come from? Yeah, and he just blows blows it off and like dismisses the question, but it's a really good question, and there's no good answer. There really isn't. Yeah, I there's definitely he's definitely not just an old researcher guy. The real question is just what flavor of thing is he actually? One last thing in Guadalajara. I don't know if you happen to notice this. I was just walking around. Did you notice there were angry people at Tobley's door this time? Tobley's? Yeah, he has a little base in Guadalajara. Like, if you go over there, you can go inside and talk to the high pillow, and he talks about the, this is the, where the boss's, like, headquarters is. And the only boss we know of is Tobley. People, if you talked, did you talk to any of the NPCs? Yeah. They specifically mentioned, yeah, that was not as cool as I had hoped. So I th- price gouging on those tickets, I those people are probably ticked. That's what I was going to bring up is, yeah, it definitely seems like I, I got flashes of a waka, basically, that people are coming to collect because his bi- big business plan didn't work out the way he had hoped. And I just wanted to mention that because it was an interesting parallel and I just happened to notice it. And you talk to him. Like, if you try to talk to the guys pounding on the door, they basically just say, this doesn't concern you, and that's all of it. They won't let you even go in the house. Yeah, I yeah, I saw that. So, I didn't I didn't ever... It never clicked to me that that was Tobley's home base, but that's that's kind of funny now that you bring that up. I, I, never, I never realized that. So, I actually have a theory on the first game, but okay. I'll bring that up after we're done with all this. There is one thing I wanted to bring up. Immediately after Guado Salam, you go to the Thunder Plains. Right. And there really isn't a whole lot there unless you want to do the calibrations again. Which, which, why would you ever? Yeah, no. Sid's there. And, again, he's sulking. And and Riku almost immediately is like, are you still here? But this time he apologizes. Yes. He immediately goes, Yuna, can you forgive me? Oh, man. I like how he realized, though, that he was wrong and that that actually went somewhere. I mean, that seemed pretty clear it was going to in Chapter 2, but I do like that he had that, you know, evolution of, yeah, that was the wrong thing to do, and I'm sorry. And he was struggling with it for multiple chapters. I mean... Through all of, and he's still struggling with it now because now in the first chapter, it seemed like he was struggling, or in chapter two, it seemed like he was struggling with the idea of it being something wrong that he did. In chapter three, he's struggling with how that affects Yuna and will she be able to forgive him for what he's done? And it just puts all this depth on Sid that you never really got in the first game. In the first game, it was very clear that he he cared very deeply for Yuna and that he thought the whole sacrificing summoners things was insane, which, I mean, yeah, I agree. But it just adds so much more to Sid that I'm happy about. And that... If there's one thing that I'm really happy about in the second game, it's just that they're fleshing out all of these characters that you never, ever would have got more information on 
And I feel like they're doing it in a way that, unlike in movies where typically you'll have a know-nothing character that was just some side thing that nobody cared about at all, but then people freak out and love this one character for whatever reason that they attach themselves to, and then in the next movie or a prequel movie, they have all this information on this character that you never really cared about, and then it's just like, oh, great. I mean, you can just say it, Boba Fett. I was trying not to. (laughs) I was really trying not to because people are already mad about the whole Blitzball thing. (laughs) I really don't want to crap all over Boba Fett, but Boba Fett sucks! He sucks! He literally was nothing! And in the Star Wars books, he is nothing. He, like, escapes from the Sarlacc pit and then goes right back to the Sarlacc pit because he sucks at being a bounty hunter. But because everybody loves Boba Fett and Boba Fett is, oh, Boba Fett's the greatest thing that's ever existed. Boba Fett is so awesome. Boba Fett is so great. We have... The next three movies turns Boba Fett into, oh, well, all the clones are Boba Fett. Well, guess what? All the clones suck because Boba Fett sucks. He (laughs) sucked at his job. He sucked in general. Boba Fett sucks, dude. He sucks. And everyone has this huge obsession with Boba Fett. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, so. Now that... A large portion of the internet is super mad at me. Let's let's jump into what are your expectations for next episode after that lovely. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, sorry. I still have a lot more to go over, actually. Oh, okay. So Awaka. Dude, I was originally furious at Awaka. Because it seemed like the only thing that he cared about was the fact that the guy died right before he could pay off his debts. Because Waka runs up and he's yelling at a dead guy because he died before he has a chance to pay him back. And how dare he die because now Waka's name is tarnished in his mind forever because he couldn't pay off his debt. But then... Immediately after that, when you go back and talk to him again, he mentions that he's made a promise to the people who died protecting his shop that he is never going to leave in their honor. And I was like, okay, maybe Waka's not horrible. Honestly, it was really interesting because... Owaka has always been kind of a cowardly character. I mean, he's he was interesting and he was kind of fun or whatever, but... It was almost a running joke, you know, like he he, got, he was just selling stuff. He didn't want to get in any fights or anything, but the the moment of all of it that stuck out to me after that, after you clear away all the fiends and he comes back where he says, I will reopen this shop. I have to. And then Payne makes a comment like, well, it looks like you're going to have more fiends than people. And his response, like in this really serious voice is, then I guess I'm going to have to start selling to fiends, aren't I? Yeah. It just and that's goes back to what I was saying. It's the the characters that they're fleshing out. It just gives everyone an opportunity and and I feel like they're doing a good job. 
some things are some the world has been hard for a lot of people after an eternal calm because they really don't know what to do now because they've lived in fear of sin their whole lives and now people feel like they actually have a chance so some of them like like class go yeah they fail and and things are hard but they people have this chance to finally do what they really care about and what's really important to them and i feel like they're fleshing characters out it just goes more with the polish I really don't feel like this game got as much. I feel like people crapped on it and they really shouldn't have. Because I really don't. It's not like great or amazing, but I really don't think it's bad. I like it a lot, honestly. I So uh, as far as that goes, I think there's two things there. One is it wasn't 10 and it was different from 10. And, you know, I think... So on some level, understandably, when you get a direct sequel like that, people are kind of expecting the same thing. And it, I mean, it plays so differently. Like you even talked about that a little bit in chapter one, and obviously you warmed up to it, but you, you had a similar, you know, response there at the beginning. And the other thing of it is, I, I, and I really, I think the root of all of this is so much of this stuff. People you wouldn't even see. see. Yeah. Cause it's all extra. Exactly. Like, same with this Awaka stuff. If I only played the main game, I probably would have thought the game sucked. But there's this oh, so much extra stuff there. So much extra content. So much things to flesh out. That there's just so much to this game that unless you're playing 100%, you're never going to see. And to me, it feels like it does an injustice to the game. I agree, because... Like that that moment with Awaka, I like him a lot better because I know I even said earlier, like I'm not the biggest fan of Awaka. I liked him more in this game because I just because I thought he was more useful with the way he worked, but like that moment, you know, I had a lot of respect for him that I never really had at all in ten. And at first I was furious. I was really furious because I'm sitting there thinking, dude, it is not important at all that he died before you could pay your debts. It's mega important that you're yelling at a guy who literally just died in front of you. I I was mad. I was actually mad. And I have a whole bunch of anger in my notes talking about that. And then immediately when it gets to him being like, listen, I am going to, I am going to stay here in their honor because they protected my shop against these fiends. And then my respect immediately like shot up from a Waka perspective. And I get it. I get the whole, you know, being upset that you can't pay your debts, but it's not that guy's fault. And I feel like he was, he should have been more upset at the fiends. How could you do this to them instead of the guy? Cause it seemed like he was placing all of his anger in the fact that the guy died and not the fact that there were fiends attacking, which caused the guy's death. What are these watchers? I wanted, uh, I actually had thought about that and then forgot, and then you brought it up, and I'm really happy. I think that's Vegnagun. I think those are scouts from Vegnagun. But there's there's a watcher in in Bachnell. Yeah. Well, so the, the watchers Called were in. Pickett, or. The watchers were in the first game, too, right? And they no. showed. Yeah, no, they were. 
no. Are, are you sure? The, I this is the no. They were not in the first game. I distinctly remember them being there, and it was shortly before you fought one of the Machina bosses, and because it took data from that, and that's what I thought they were doing again, but with Vegnagun. Are you sure you're not thinking of the first time you played Ten Two? I'm. I mean, I might be, but I swear I thought that happened. There were no watchers in Final Fantasy Ten. I don't remember that at all, and I've played that game like six times. But you might be right. They didn't start showing up until after Vegnagun. Are you looking it up? I am actually trying to see if Watchers were a thing before. So there's there's two things about the battle system that I noticed that I actually wanted to talk about. The first is I told Yuna to use a high potion on Riku. In between using the high potion and in between using the high potion and Yuna's turn, like actually using it, a fiend attacked Riku and she died. Instead of the game automatically just using the high potion on the dead Riku, like other RPGs do, just like with fiends, instead of a instead of using it on Riku, she actually just used it on the next person, and in this case, it was herself. So I thought it was actually cool that it didn't just waste the item. And it could have been a waste if Yuna was at full health. But still, I thought that was cool that it didn't just waste the item. And I actually liked that about the battle system. The other thing that I thought was kind of funny is I now, since I maxed out Psychic on Pain, I'm now using Dark Knight. And I actually did switch Riku to the Alchemist. I switched Riku to Alchemist. I switched Yuna back to Gunner. And I love Alchemist. So far, it's I like I really like that job. And I put Pain on Dark Knight. And the one thing that I don't like about Dark Knight, I don't know if you've used it yet, the action or the action bar or whatever you call that is so much longer than the other twos. It is like oh. impossible to gear up unless you just waste attacks. It is so hard to time everybody's chain because how much longer it is to refresh than the other twos. I wonder if it's a factor of class or if it's a factor of just the speed stats. Since I know obviously changing class changes the stats, but I'm curious if like if there was a way to bump her speed, would that bar actually get shorter, even if she's that class? I don't know, unless there's an accessory that can bump speed, but I haven't really messed around with accessories a whole lot. Yeah, me either. Other, I mean, I have a few that I've put on everybody, and I've just been kind of really happy with my setup for the most part. But there was, th there was something about Dark Knight that I thought was kind of funny. So, have you noticed in your, your win animations, if somebody's dying in the battle they'll hurry up get up because if they're dying they show that if you're not paying attention to their health by having them like, like hunch over down. and stuff yeah yeah so in dark night her win animation is her getting up swinging her sword in a circle around her head and then putting it down into the ground so she was dying at one point She's leaning hunched over 
And as soon as I win the battle, she shoots up, like picks up her sword and starts lugging it around her head and starts spinning. And then the whole thing stops because it doesn't actually finish her whole animation. Oh, because of the extra time to get up. And I was like, oh, pain. <laughs> you really don't. You don't you have really, to do that. It's okay. You can just take a break. You're hurt really bad. You don't need to stand up and start swinging your sword around. <laughs> so it's like she's on the brink of death. She's got like one HP left. And the battle is over and she's just like dying on the ground. Goes, oh, yeah, sweet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also... I did finish looking it up. Those things were in the first game. I thought so. Where? They weren't called Watchers in that. It was the same thing. Those little robot things. And they would, When you killed them, they would do transmitting. And the boss on Makalania Lake, that machine that would shut down your abilities, the abilities it would shut down were the abilities those Watcher or those robot things had seen you using when they showed up previously in the game. Are you sure that they just weren't in that fight? I swear they were in it otherwise. I really don't remember them at all. They don't show up. I remember that now that now that you bring up the fight, I remember them in that fight and I remember them disabling moves. Yeah, and I swear they were in random encounters before then because that's how they knew what moves you had to disable is they would disable the ones they had caught you using in previous encounters. I really don't remember that at all. I'll do I I'm going to look it up again and I'll pr I have like a thousand save files from, because I, I have, as you heard before, I have 60 for this game alone. I have so many for 10. I'll just go back and play a little bit and grind a bunch to see if I get them to show up. Because I don't remember them being in random battles like this. I really don't remember that. Regardless, that aside, because when they die, they do that same transmitting log that and that stood out to me because I remembered that from 10. And that's why I think it's Vagnagon and it's doing the same thing where it's recording you. No matter what, I always kill them first. I have been killing them first in every single encounter. I, I kill them first before I kill everything else. And I kill them using normal attacks because I don't know how they work and I don't know what they are. But I have started killing them first with regular basic attacks yeah and i think that's the way to do it based on like i said i was assuming they were there to do that same thing because of what i at least thought i remembered from the first game so what are your expectations going forward given that we're probably at least halfway through chapter three i'm expecting we're going to or i'm expecting to finish it this coming week and which means we're going to be going into those temples to try to to deal with the fiend problem. So I'm expecting, like I talked about before, I, I really think all the temples probably have this secret crazy technology in the basement. And I think we're going to be seeing that again. I also think Nuj and Barilai are probably going to turn up either in the finale of Chapter 3 or into Chapter 4. And the more you've talked, the more I've become convinced you're right that news yeah, is actually be a giant robot battle and a Grand Prix. Yes, totally. I'm 100 <laughs> percent on board with this. No, I think news is probably trying to control Vagnagon. I'm pretty convinced with that from what you said. You, you made some really good points there. 
Yeah, when when he comes back, I really think he is I think he's trying to control the fiend instead it, of dismantle it. Because it, Barilai mentions they just want to leave it alone. They just want to leave it in hibernation and just leave it there. News was like, oh, I want to dismantle it. By that, I think he means I want to take off. I want to free the fiend. I will say that definitely, if that's true, that would be a pretty good fake out by the game. Because I know I was commenting in previous episodes how it really seemed like Yevon was going to be the bad guys again and how disappointed I was by that. And if it turns out that is actually a fake and Nuge is actually the bad guy, that would be really interesting. If anybody from the Square dev team ever ever listens to these, it's like, ha gotcha! <laughs> <laughs> Listening to like our first several episodes, and then we go along and it's just a slow realization of, Oh, man, those guys really know what they're doing. I feel like they've done a pretty good job of just trying to explore, you know, okay, what happens after the apocalypse, basically, like, or, you know, after the apocalypse is averted, rather, I, for good this time, I, I really do think, like you were saying, they're touching on a lot of the things of people sort of struggling to deal with what happens now. Because everybody was united in fear and hatred of sin, and that basically kept the whole world more or less united on the same team and now that's gone and everybody's kind of fracturing. Yeah. So what about you? What are you expecting? So I actually have a theory about the first game, okay. which I know isn't typical, but hear me out here. No, I'm definitely interested. So in order to defeat Yevon, the true cause of sin in final fantasy 10, you had to kill the host Aeon, in this case, Sin. And then you had to kill all the other Saeons, or all the other Saeons, <laughs> all the other Aeons as Sin, or as Yevon jumps into them. So Sin is the main big bad Aeon that is summoned after you essentially sacrifice a summoner. Or not a summoner, one of one of the summoner's friends. One of the you guardians. had to have a bond with them, which is why the guardians. You couldn't just swap guardians. It was a single guardian has to follow you the whole way because you have to have a bond with them in order to actually f summon the final. Yeah, it, in order for the summon to work, you had to have a real connection, which is why this one was so powerful. So. Well, one of the reasons why it was so powerful. It was also the fact that there was this whole pilgrimage to the person who become... Because I get the idea that the Faith, the original Aeons, were just people who signed up to essentially become good fiends. And that some of them were just more powerful than others. Yeah, and if, if I recall correctly, doesn't Unalaska specifically mention that part of the reason the final Aeon was so powerful was because since they use a guardian who had gone through the entire pilgrimage, they were extremely strong compared to a normal person. And her first guardian was like a, a huge captain in the military or something like the original fight against sin. Like they, he was a big deal because it was also her um, husband or, 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 yeah, or yeah. whatever her lover, I think is the way they mentioned it in the first game. 
because I don't know if they really have a... Well, I guess they do have marriage because Seymour attempts to marry Yuna. But... Well, and I think they establish Waka and Lulu are officially married. Oh, yeah, I didn't... Ugh. I Andrew, I had blocked that out of my memory, so... You're right, I'm sorry. Let's... I was only thinking of the one. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah, I didn't know if they had a concept of marriage in this game. I couldn't remember if they had a concept of marriage or not, but regardless, all that aside... She, he was like a big deal in the world in general, and so was she being the very first, you know, high summoner. So going along with the pilgrimage, it's one of those, they're going to be incredibly strong. And that's why I think that the final Aeon is so powerful because it's basically somebody at the peak of their existence. But to continue my theory, the Faith want you to permakill Yevon so they can stop dreaming. Why didn't they just stop dreaming after Jekt became Sin? I, I, Hear me out. Okay. Because Jekt was obviously a dream. Because Jekt was from Xanarkand, which was the dream... And Jekt was Titus's father. So if Jekt was this other Titus's father, or however they do it, Jekt was also a dream. So if Jekt was sin, if the faith just stopped dreaming, sin would be gone because Yevon would have nothing to live inside of. All of the other aeons would also disappear Yevon would just be this thing without a host to survive in anymore. The faith could have just ended all of it when Jekt became sin by just stop dreaming. Maybe they needed, maybe they wanted all of Yevon to be crushed as a part of that. Maybe, I don't know, but would the faith really care at that point? Because the faith make it that that kid faith that shows up that's in purple makes it seem like he only cares about ending the dream. And he says the only way they can end the dream is to make sure Yevon dies. If Yevon doesn't have a host to live in anymore, it implies that Yevon is going to die. I don't understand why they didn't just stop dreaming. I mean, hmm. That's interesting. I'm, I'm actually sitting here thinking about what you're saying and trying to wrap my head around like the implications of that. But that's, that's, I mean, that on the surface, at least immediately after what you said, yeah, that's a good point. That sounds valid. I would assume for this to make sense, it's possible that, he wasn't by virtue of interacting with the world and like becoming an Aeon or whatever. He wasn't really a dream in the same way anymore, but I guess the other theory but would be all the Aeons were dreams, all of them. And he was a dream in himself. Well, I know he was a dream. Yes, obviously. Um, but now with 10, two, we're clearly seeing that, there was more to the Aeons than just a dream because we fought Dark Bahamut. Yeah, that is 
I don't know what to think of that. My my thought there is it's possible there were original versions of them because so Yevon there had to be something because Yevon was able to do summons originally. So Well and that's and that goes back to my my thing about magic had to exist in some capacity. Because there had to be a summon originally. Well, and that goes back to what I was saying of it's possible this was all basically super high technology stuff, like what we were seeing under the temple. And then the dream versions were basically just trying to replicate these high tech things. That it, maybe they're all essentially what like prototypes for Vignagun and were basically fiends that they captured to do something with. And that's what they were basing on for the dreams. Bahamut does have this weird thing on him. Yeah. He does have this extra thing that kind of floats above him that seems out of place from Bahama and Je- cuz he just kind of looks like a dragon thing but he has this circle on his back that like spins around a bunch when he uses mega flare I don't know I really don't know but my my expectations going forward oh man this con- this theory you just threw out there is kind of like making me reconsider a lot of stuff all of a sudden <laughs> Yeah I've been sitting on that since we recorded, and I don't know what to think of it, because I'm sitting there, maybe there's something I'm missing, but I feel like the faith could have just ended this as soon as Jekt became Sin. I I don't know. Well, by that logic, why couldn't they have ended it any other time? Like, why did, would they have needed Jekt for this to make sense? Because all of the other Aeons were people born in the world. Oh, so you're thinking even if the other Aeons had gone away, Sin would have survived. Yes, because... No, 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 not the other Aeons. What I'm saying is the final summon... Right, right. ...was not somebody who was dreaming. Right, it was actually made of a person. Yeah, I, 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 see, I get what you're saying. So the final summon in this case was a dream of the faith. So they could have just stopped dreaming... Thus, sin, the final summon, should disappear. Did the faith know that Jekt was sin? I don't remember. I think they did. Well, because since Unaleska is the last stop, you've already visited all the faith then, so they would not necessarily have known that the person that became the Aeon was a dream. Even if they knew he was a dream before then. If they didn't know that Jekt was the current Aeon, how on earth would they know that the Aeon, and in this case, Yevon, is dead at all? Because they mentioned, we will help you in the final fight. They said to to Titus at that point, that, that, that kid mentions, you're going to have to kill us all. Because each time that you summon an Aeon, Yevon is going to jump to it, and it's going to... You latch know, onto that. Latch yeah. onto that. But at that point, why didn't they just stop dreaming then? I wonder if they couldn't. Because if they really legitimately need you to kill them, it's just one of those things of like, I don't know if they could, even could voluntarily end the dream. But they can die. It's very clear that they can die outside of anything, especially because they can be summoned multiple times by multiple summoners. Because they just, they can't be summoned at the same time. 
I think it establishes that, especially when you fight Belgramine or, or whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah, the, sum- the summoner trainer lady. But they can be summoned multiple times, which also implies they can die and be resummoned. Especially since when when you fight Belgramine, you're Aeon, you definitely kill them. The end of the battle is the Aeons disappearing, the summon disappearing. And then you can immediately summon them again later. Because summoners even use their summons to fight you later in the game. Uh, What's-his-face does that? Uh, I think it's Posse. Posse, I think, was the Maybe. summoner. No, I think not it's Azaru. Posse. Azaru. Azaru, Azaru was yeah. the summoner. Because he fights you in the uh, underground when you're trying to escape after Yevon d- deems you as horrible people. So, I, I just... It seems like they could have just stopped dreaming and all of this would have went away. It's possible. I This definitely seems like something that we'll never actually get an answer to, but maybe we will because the Aeons are still a thing, but that just feels like, if it's anything, it's a plot hole more than something they're actually going to address. I agree. I think it's probably just a plot hole, but... But that is very interesting, and I had not thought about any of that before. I totally forgot. There was one more thing that I wanted to mention. Okay. And I realized this just as we were getting up to leave. We're done with the episode, but I'm going to cut this in later. I just wanted to bring this up before we left. The reason I wanted you to get to Bacchanal, those, you talked to the cactus. Did you notice the cactus basically said there is some gigantic fiend out there that is attack that is going to come for us. Dude, yeah. the cactus know about Vegnagun. Or is it something completely different? I don't know. But the cactus know that there's something huge out there that has now activated that is causing all of the fiends to stir. And that's why fiends are going out of the temples. It's heavily implied that that's Vegnagun. So then the cactars sealed Vegnagun originally? Maybe. Because they said that would be why, because the cactus lady does mention that they're going to come after the cactars first, whatever it is, because they were responsible for sealing it away originally. And that is such a nothing statement that I feel like there's so much there. It heavily implies that this was a fiend that was sealed away that then people tried to control later with Machina. And that sphere with the Titus guy, and he's saying, someday your weapons, plural, are going to kill you. Yes, that is true. He definitely did say that, and that stood out to me as well. I think you're right. I think there's multiple fiends in every temple, and there's a Vegnagun in every temple of some capacity. And maybe that's wow. maybe that's where they got the idea of summoners in general. I don't know. Of summoning like Aeons or something, like controlling fiends. I think they originally tried. I think that this war. Xanarkin tried to control fiends or technological Xanarkin or whoever. Maybe not Xanarkin, maybe some other technical race, but I feel... No, that's right, because Titus would have been from Xanarkin and Titus is protecting a summoner. So I feel like 
there were summoners back then. So, and there were summoners fighting. We're going to have to put this at the end of everything because of this. I feel like the war was against one side who had summoners and the other side who was trying to control fiends with Machina. So if Xanarkin had the summoners, which it definitely seems like they do, that would imply that Bavel and the rest of the areas were using these techno fiends slash Vegda gun slash whatever. And, and so- the fiends, the 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 Vegna gun machines are under Bavel. That's where we found Vegna gun. Right. And also that Dark Bahamut that we fought, which if there's one of those under the different areas, which correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Bahamut in Bavel in the original game? He was. Bahamut was in Bavel in the original game. Because so, Bavel's the last place you go to, and that's where you get the strongest Aeon. Right, the last place you do before you go to... Well, not the Xanarkin. strongest, because Three Sisters is the strongest. But. Well, but of the, of the ones you have to get. Yeah. And so if you fought him there, then that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, where is that like the original Bahamut and the Dream Heirs, the the faith that was dreaming was basically just replicating that original fiend. But it sounds like this summons existed originally. It makes it, it heavily implies that that was a thousand years ago. And Titus mentions the summoner in one of his first fears. So we know that that was a thousand years ago and there were summoners back then. But okay. So Here's a thought. Yevon was the original summoner, and theoretically, if Titus is escorting Yevon, what if whatever the original summoner was summoning is not what we've been summoning in 10? What if... I mean, obviously, he jumped to scene eventually, but if that was like the trump card of we're completely losing this war or whatever, this is all we have left, but what he was summoning before then could have theoretically been completely different. If Yevon and Bavel, the winners of this war, set up this whole thing in this, you know, hidden whatever and made Machina Band or whatever, that's basically just like taking the tools of your enemy and turning that into what everybody else is going to do. But why, if they're the ones who won, I almost think they won because Sin became a thing. I feel like Sin became the most powerful Aeon or whatever and destroyed everything at that point. I, or maybe Sin destroyed Xanarkin. That's what I thought. I mean, that's what I thought from the beginning, even in how it was presented in 10. I thought that Sin specifically destroyed Xanarkin. But so what if- Xanarkin had summoners. Xanarkin destroyed themselves. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If this was their last ditch effort or whatever, what if Sin just like was too much for them, and, you know, uh, clearly Yevon went crazy or whatever because all he does is summon Sin forever. Maybe he's stuck in, you know, survival mode or whatever from trying to protect Xanarkin. Well, it sounds... Well, I don't know if Titus... Here's the thing. I don't know if Titus was protecting Yevon or Titus was protecting Len at this point because it sounds like Len may be the summoner. I See, I thought it was Len, too. But then in that case, I, I I, don't know. There's too much we don't know still. And there, I, yeah. Oh. <laughs> but this is my, 
honestly, this is basically my, my favorite part of this podcast is when we start coming up with like theories for the plot and stuff. To me, that's the most fun I have related to this podcast. So I'm, I'm really happy about this. Well, once we get into chapter four, we're, we're going to be closer to my immortal grand prix. Well, obviously. And now I, we, now we're under the impression that there's a lot of these things and whew, Okay. So they got to come first place with a race of like 10. Well, I think news is just going to turn them all into a giant transformer. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That must be it. This has been episode six of video games cover to cover. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. New episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. But remember, I hate Waka. Waka.